This is the San Francisco Experience with your host, Jim Hurley. Independent news commentary with a California perspective. Season 7, Episode 18. Leaving California. Allison Pullins and Neil Richardson discuss their decision to relocate to North Carolina. California has loomed large in American history as the Golden State with abundant natural resources and opportunities for a better life. Even before becoming a state in 1849 and the fabled gold rush that drew tens of thousands of men and women to find fame and fortune, California exercised an almost mythical pull. And nowhere is that lure more evident than in our population numbers. Let's begin with some statistics. In 1940, the state population was 6.95 million. By 2020, however, 80 years later, it had grown sixfold to 40 million. California's population boom far outpaced the United States, which grew two and a half times during the same period, from 132 million to 333 million as Americans flocked to California. At the same time, California's political clout also increased from 22 electoral votes to 55. The San Francisco Bay Area saw even more explosive growth due to World War II industrial and armaments expansion. The 1950s and 1960s saw high-tech, finance, transportation, and the healthcare industries, for instance, become major economic drivers in the San Francisco Bay Area. Total population in our region soared tenfold from 775,000 approximately in 1940 to 7.7 million in 2020. But 2020 marked a reversal in our state and our region's fortunes. With us today are Allison Pullins and Neil Richardson, a professional couple who live here in San Francisco with their two young children. They've done very well by any measure, and until recently, they saw their future as a family here in California. However, they've recently decided to relocate 2,800 miles east to North Carolina. They'll share with us their thoughts and their decision-making process to move their family across country. But before I hand the mic over to Allison and Neil, a few thoughts about the California exodus, as some commentators call the reverse migration trend. To put the numbers in perspective, in 2020, California saw a net population outflow to other states of 139,000 people. That represents about 0.3% of our total population, which is hardly a tidal wave. But the numbers for San Francisco in 2020 tell a different and perhaps more alarming story. In the year of the pandemic, the city's net, net population loss not the entire Bay Area region, just San Francisco, totaled 38,000, or 4% of San Francisco's population of 875,000. 
As the focal point of Silicon Valley has shifted to San Francisco from San Jose during the 2000s, rent and the cost of living, which was always higher than the national average, have soared. At the same time, homelessness, environmental degradation, and crumbling infrastructure have impacted the quality of our life. Is last year's population decline in San Francisco a one-time fluke, or is it the beginning of a new trend? Joining us today from their home in San Francisco are Allison and Neil to discuss these developments and their family's future. Hello, Allison and Neil. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks for having us. Hey, Dan. Thank you so much. My pleasure. First of all, could you tell our listeners what drew you both to San Francisco in the first place, and also give us a little bit of a uh, little bit of background and your bios. I'll start. Um, so I grew up in in Virginia, and and before I came out here, and um, it was it was great. It was uh, it felt right, and it still still in many respects does. You know, the feeling that I get when your plane's on the approach to SFO and you come over the, the hills in the East Bay and it makes that hard right turn to, to land, that still gives me chills. And it's a place that um, it just felt right, felt like the, the place where I belonged. And I was in graduate school quite a while and um, I was in a PhD program. And when I was finishing up my degree, um, I had kind of the choice to uh, go pursue an academic career, which would mean, you know, trying to get a job as a professor at a college or university somewhere else, or changing careers and being able to stay in the Bay Area. And I, I chose the Bay Area. And um, so since then, I've been, been working in software, and um, as there is a lot of that around here, and um, moved from Berkeley to San Francisco proper in 2010. And um, it's been great, uh-huh. you which know, makes it all the fatter to leave. <laughs> you know, I I, uh, I know exactly what you mean when I'm when I'm traveling anywhere else, either in the United States or around the world. I'm at the airport, and I see the sign at the airport for San Francisco. I hate to say my heart skips a beat, but my heart does skip a beat, uh, knowing that I'm going back to San Francisco. And of all the places that I've that I've lived, I have lived in quite a few places, both in the United States and overseas. No other no other city has had that kind of uh, gives me that kind of a thrill of that kind of a, kind of an effect. In any case, so, I feel exactly the same way. And, and definitely, like you get to the gate at the airport and you see the flight to SFO, and you look around and see, oh, these are my people. I recognize you. <laughs> my, this, is, this is me. My tribe. My tribe. Exactly. And Allison, how about you? Yeah, so I um, I was actually born and raised in West Virginia, not to be confused with where, where Neil grew up, separate states. And I moved to California to attend college when I was 18. And when I was doing my undergraduate research, you know, where was I going to go to college? Every region of the U.S. from the south to the northeast, the middle, like it just, it didn't feel right. And when I went to L.A. to tour schools, something just clicked. I um, 
California, it wasn't just the place where I felt at home. It felt like it was the only, um, the only state I'd ever been to where I could truly be myself, that I could realize my own potential. And um, ever since I was a teenager, I just got hooked. And I moved to San Francisco 12 years ago for um, uh, work and a previous relationship. And I, I just haven't looked back. Um, the city, you know, I have a love affair with the city as well. She definitely makes my heart skip beat too. <laughs> Um, I, you know, professionally I'm, I'm in tech as well, but I'm, I'm in healthcare tech. So I've been in the industry for about 15 years. Um, I'm COO of a company that helps providers with physician transactions. Um, and I, I feel like, you know, the community of people that live in San Francisco, um, are bright, uh, you know, mission driven, um, you know, critical thinkers and it's just been it's been such a wonderful place to um to be over the past you know 12 years well listening to both you allison and to neil you both sound like happy campers you it sounds as though california has been very good to you and you both love california why the change of attitude oh gosh um i think it started um, about three years ago when our oldest son, James, who turned six this summer, was diagnosed with a rare genetic condition called Marfan syndrome. And, um, yeah, so it was, it was, um, earth shattering for Neil and I to, to go through this experience. And it was, it was full of grief. And we realized, um, you know, during our journey accepting this diagnosis, that we did not have the support system we needed here in San Francisco to um, to really live our best lives and to provide everything that we could for James. So we started to question um, whether or not San Francisco was the best place for us long term. I think about 2019, right, Neil? Around that time. Sounds about right. Yeah. Hmm. Well, that's uh, well. First of all. Uh, James has two wonderful parents uh, who provide, a, obviously, provide a, a wonderful home and a, a good life for him. So uh, that's my, my first thought. Um, what specifically appealed to you about North Carolina? Because we, we tend to think of San Francisco with our, uh, our high-tech uh, high medical innovation at UCSF, at Stanford. Uh, we tend to think of those institutions as being institutions where other people come to for for assistance was that uh, was that not part of your consideration it's true and i think initially um after his diagnosis it made me think that we were even more firmly anchored here yes. because we wanted to be somewhere where there was uh access to uh you know the best specialists and in fact we've had excellent care from our providers at ucsf uh, and elsewhere that we've um, that have uh, worked with us with James, and uh, you know we're very happy with that. As we got further into uh, uh, learning about the condition and you know where the top centers specifically for Marfan syndrome are, uh, as it turns out, uh, many of those are actually on the East Coast. So Johns Hopkins um, is is probably the 
one of the top places um, in Boston. There's also a lot of stuff. Um, and so, um, you know, when we come to think about any major procedures that James would have later, uh, hopefully later in life, um, you know, we're already at a place where we're, we would be shopping and considering places outside of the Bay Area. So I think that um, kind of shifted. Um, but, you know, I think North Carolina for us is less about the specific uh, specialty center and more about proximity to, to family. Yeah, like the reasons we ended up pulling the trigger on leaving, which, by the way, was like the most, literally, the most difficult decision in my life. And, and trust me, I've had many difficult decisions to make. Um, we we agonized over this, absolutely agonized over it. You know, there was, and it was kind of a two-parter. Like the first part was, are we going to leave? And the second part was, where are we going to go? Yes. Like, because after you've lived in San Francisco, you're pretty much spoiled for life <laughs> on, on all kinds of fronts, you know? That was definitely our starting point was, all right, does it make sense for us to stay here? But then there was probably, there was a couple of years of, yeah, but where will we go? Uh -huh. And it's, uh, and, and so it, it took a while to get to the point where we, you know, we could get past that obstacle. Yeah, and there's there was a lot of compromise too in the decision, right? Like because there's no there's not going to be a place that perfectly aligns to all the wonderful things we all the things we like and appreciate about San Francisco, but we had to go through this difficult exercising of prioritizing all the things in our life and then finding a region or location that aligned with those priorities and the right balance of trade-offs and the right balance of trade-offs exactly mm -hmm. so um i wish i could tell you that like this was a decision that like was very clear to us from the beginning um but there was a lot of like two steps forward one step back and a lot of gnashing of teeth that happened <laughs> Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, North Carolina, we have uh, we have very dear friends in North Carolina and Asheville. Uh, my wife has family in uh, Charlotte. So we're somewhat familiar with the state. It's a beautiful state. Beautiful, beautiful people, beautiful countryside. So you couldn't have chosen a better state in many respects. I mean, we we see many people who want to move to Texas or Florida, both of which uh, I'm very familiar with, both states. I myself, I was born in New York, so I'm familiar with New York. But um, I, I think if I if I had to do it over again, North Carolina would certainly be on my short list of states to take a good look at. So I think we're maybe it's a, maybe it's sort of a San Francisco thing. Also, if you if you're if you're going to leave San Francisco, North Carolina is sort of high on the list. Well, you know, who knows? And I, I would hate to think that we're trendsetters because we're not that trendy, but I guess we'll find out what happens. Um, you know, I think like Neil and I initially had some hesitancy moving back to the South, quite frankly. You know, we um, both of us felt mostly out of place growing up in the towns where we lived. We both grew up in really small towns and the um, they weren't very diverse uh it, you know, in terms of like people or of thinking. And so um, we just, we, we, we had a lot of pause going back, but, 
you know, the South has really changed and evolved since we were there 20 years ago. And I think we're going to be moving into the state at a time, a really exciting time where um, it's growing. I mean, they, they cannot um, build homes fast enough. There's a burgeoning tech sector there. Um, it's, I think it's, I think it's going to be a wonderful place to live, but there, there are going to be some major adjustments. Well, certainly. Now, in addition to uh, family considerations and, of course, uh, young James's uh, proximity to first-class health care, what were some of the other considerations that uh, factored into your decision-making? Obviously, you mentioned housing, and you talked about yeah. the burgeoning um, housing industry back there. Based on what we've seen from visiting with family, the homes back there are spectacular, a fraction of what they cost here in San Francisco. And uh, so th- that that was an easy part of your decision, I would guess. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you definitely get more for your money when you live in a place like North Carolina or virtually anywhere else in the country as mm-hmm. compared to... It's the land underneath it's, it. It's the land underneath it, yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, the cost of living, truth be told, is one of the top factors why we would consider leaving. Um, you know, I was taught at a very early age to be incredibly financially conservative with my personal finances. And I feel like in San Francisco, given the cost of living, it's virtually impossible to save. Mm-hmm. And I always felt uncomfortable, particularly after James's diagnosis, feeling like no matter how hard we worked and no matter how um, fast we got to that next promotion at work, um, it just was never enough. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it's a it's an uncomfortable and unsettling feeling. Um, you know, we in the housing, the housing, I think housing costs are really one of the prime drivers. And the, the ripple effect of that goes into virtually everything. You know, you you sink nearly all of your income into rent or into a mortgage. And then in order for everyone else to live here, the cost of everything else is so high of childcare, of food, of, you know, entertainment, everything is impacted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, uh, it, it, it kind of has a ratchet effect on all of your expenses. And, um, you know, uh, we realized that, um, you know, we, we certainly make, uh, good money, and uh, but that money would go a lot farther somewhere else. Well, okay. and and so you know, you just making that kind of it's you know it's hard when you're dealing with you know things where you have an emotional attachment as we do to where we live here. But you know, you start to add up, you know, what on your balance sheet of what's keeping you here and what the alternative is, and um, you know, it gets kind of imbalanced. Well, you know, it's interesting, your your house, and of course, my guess is you're probably going to end up with a, a brand new 3,000 square foot home with a screened in porch and, you know, all of the uh, all of the fittings and fixtures that uh, that you would expect. The the size of your home, the newness of your home is all going to have a positive effect on your quality of life. Uh, because, of course, here in San Francisco, our homes are smaller. Uh, they're more expensive, but they're smaller. And, and that, of course, impacts 
the quality of our life, where we actually live, the four walls that we live within. So, so that's bound to have an yeah, effect. They're all trade-offs too, right? Yeah. Like, yes, we'll have, that's, that's likely that we'll have, you know, uh, objectively nicer things there, but you know, the, there's lots of things that we won't have, you know, I won't have a, a neighbor that gives me Meyer lemons from their tree uh, when they have that. You know what I mean? Like there's, it's, there are, there are other aspects of quality of life, but you know, I think part of what we've done and what's led us to this point is just trying to evaluate those trade-offs. I mean, all of those things are, are great. I think the family is the one that's kind of, one of the ones that's just kind of unmovable. Like it's just, you know, having our kids have a relationship with their grandparents and us having a, uh, having a relationship with our parents that's, uh, not just over FaceTime. Um, that's, that you can't, you can't, uh, you can't put a price on that in the same way. No, you can't. But if I, if I can go back to housing though, really quickly, you know, Jim, you're making some really good points. And I think the thing you have to keep in mind about San Francisco, it's not even, the size of the house so much. It's, it's the state that these older homes are in. And if you are, if you should be so lucky is to actually buy a house in San Francisco, unless you're incredibly wealthy, um, you're going to need to do some significant work on that house to bring it close to contemporary living standards. And um, based on a personal experience, I can tell you that um, any sort of renovation or improvement project in San Francisco, when you have to go through the planning department is, um, shall we say, one of the worst San Francisco experiences <laughs> I think I've ever had. Um it's just, I mean, I'm sure your listeners would know about the scandals that have happened with BDI. Um, but it's, you know, I think it's, it is a area of our city's bureaucracy that could, um, use some reform. Um, yeah, it could be a lot better. Oh, there's no doubt about it. And I think anyone who's had to deal with, uh, an expansion, a remodel of their home, having to work with neighbors, um, discretionary reviews. These are probably old terms, which for our listeners in other parts of the country, uh, probably, probably alien to them. But uh, you're absolutely right. If you're fortunate enough to buy a home in San Francisco and afford that entry level ticket, and then the next step, fortunate enough to have a budget where you can remodel it, it's not just you and your family who are weighing in with their opinions on what they want this remodel to look like. It's also a host of strangers, perhaps neighbors, who weigh in and who also share their opinions on what you should or shouldn't have. I remember, in it's probably well before your time, in uh, the film Dr. Zhivago, Dr. Zhivago comes back from the war and their beautiful mansion in Moscow has been taken over by... Um, by uh, dozens and dozens of, of very poor families and the this uh, very stern-faced female commissar comes up to him as he walks in the front door of his house and shakes her finger at him and says do you realize that this house now accommodates 15 different families as opposed to your one family who lived here and there's an element of that in san francisco unfortunately when we're uh when we're dealing with bureaucracy and trying to trying to provide the most modern and comfortable homes for our families. Yeah. Yeah. I, and you know, I like, again, I, I love San Francisco. 
But the one of the other key drivers of of leaving the state, quite frankly, is education. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we you know go back 40, 50 years ago. California had one of the most robust and successful public education programs in the entire country and arguably maybe even in the world because America used to be better at public education. Uh, But ever since Prop 13 passed, um, the state's budget for public education has been decimated and uh, school quality has only gone downhill. And it is such a um, it is so ironic that one of the wealthiest um, highly educated cities in the country just cannot uh, get public education right and has um, major deficits in our school system. And um, it, it really, uh, it, it's a travesty. And, and, you know, I think pre-pandemic, there were cracks in the foundation, um, but the pandemic really exposed some of the um, mismanagement of what's happening at public schools in the city. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it's a huge, it, it's really sad. Um, and it, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think it's like, it, you know, we're seeing the results of decades of defunding of public education such that, you know, leaving aside any particular issues with the board of education, like I don't, they're not even needing any of that. Just, thinking about the readiness to respond to a pandemic and, you know, what would need to happen in order to open schools safely. You know, you need PPE, you need better ventilation, you need, you know, hand sanitizer. These are things that cost money and require, you know, uh, know, resources resources to just set up. And if you're already just barely making it, you don't have a cushion to even respond to that. So like, I'm not, I feel like a lot of the, the struggles that our schools have had in reopening and getting through, you know, we can point at, you know, contemporary political issues there, but I think, you know, a lot of that has got to be related to just the defunding of public education uh, for many years. Mm -hmm. Well, of course, you're absolutely right. Public education has been a, has been and continues to be a, a huge issue here in San Francisco. But on the other hand, our state income tax is the highest in the country. The highest rate of uh, the highest rate is thirteen point three percent. Now I know that North Carolina has a state income tax. Do you recall what the what the uh, the highest rate is of their state income tax? It's flat. It's flat. It's uh, between five and six percent. Five is so it's less than half of what the highest rate is here in San Francisco. Uh, here in California, it's thirteen point three percent. Which that's right. So, so the point is, how does North Carolina end up with better schools? Yet, of course, that doesn't. Uh, to your point about Prop Thirteen, property taxes. What do property taxes look like in North Carolina? Um, they're not particularly high, but they're not low either. They're definitely lower um, than in. Uh, California, but compared to my parents' property taxes in West Virginia, they're higher. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's probably middle of the road. Mm-hmm. And you know, like, don't get us wrong, we we love paying taxes. Like, we are happy. We are happy taxpayers. We want to contribute. You know, it's we feel that it is our social and moral obligation to do so. You know, my grandmother always said, uh, "To whom much is given, much is expected." And um, I I truly believe that. 
But it is kind of a head scratcher, I will agree, that when we we have such high state taxes, but it doesn't appear that they're being spent in a very um, effective way, at least not for education and probably for a host of other things, too. So um, and I'm and I'm absolutely not saying that California uh, is, you know, worse off than any other state. I, I don't think there's any sort of paradise like no one has gotten this exactly right. Um, but I do think the state has a tr- has a tremendously difficult road in front of it. Um, it has a lot of challenges that it's going to need to overcome. Well, in addition to our 13.3% highest band of uh, income tax, um, each time I, I buy a gallon of gasoline, I, I don't have an electric car yet. It's, it's on my list of things to do, but uh, I'm still stuck in the hydrocarbon era trying to get out of it. But every time I pay my $4 a gallon for gasoline here in California, which I guess will be cheaper in North Carolina, when I pay my $4 a gallon for gasoline here, I notice that 48 cents of that $4 is going in state taxes and 19 cents is going in federal taxes. So again, I'm sure that's going to be a lower bite uh, for you. It's it, The point that I want to make is whether it's state income tax or state gasoline tax, it's not like we are undertaxed. It's not like uh, it's not like revenues, you know, significant revenues are not pouring into the state, so much so that California this year actually has a $15 billion budget surplus due to the capital gains taxes because of our, uh, our high-tech, uh, you know, our high-tech wealth and the fact that uh, capital gains intake for all the companies that have gone public this year here in California are very high. So we have very significant tax revenues in this state, but obviously not being efficiently spent and certainly not on, on education, it seems. No. And, you know, you ca- Californians have a tremendous opportunity over the next 10 years, you know, to be on the forefront, uh, particularly when it comes to addressing climate change. I think there's a lot of very innovative things that the state could be doing, and it's exciting. And I really, really hope you guys are able to <laughs> pull things together and, you know, be the shining beacon for all of us. But, you know, Neil and I, we're, we're stepping away from that. You know, we're um, of course, it's it's with a lot of sadness, but you know our our time here. I think we've we've done all that we can to contribute to our community, and I'm really hopeful um, that the state can you know grow and move forward. Um, but I think that you know I don't have a crystal ball, so mm-hmm. who knows? Well, what are you going to miss about California? I mean, obviously, we've talked about the things that you won't miss. But what are you going to miss about California, the wine country, um, our coastline? I mean, what are some of the unique features of California that uh, that you're not going to have in North Carolina? North Carolina, I don't think, has any wineries. Well, they they actually do, they but do. you do not want to go to them. <laughs> um, very bad idea. Very bad idea. We let's just say that the, the winemaking is more established and, and successful out here. Uh, that's a nice way of putting it. We we have um, we have ha- cracked into a bottle of wine from North Carolina and also from California. And um, let's just say I'm really glad our favorite winery shipped to 
the East Coast from California. I'll put it that way. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, like, yeah, the, the natural beauty and the vistas yeah. that you get here. Just, just the color palette, I feel. Oh, like, yeah. And I like to, like, even just, like, the most basic senses. So I look out the window and the way that the blues and the greens and the, you know, the browns of the hills in the summer, like, that's just a very, like, specific color palette that, makes me feel like when I see that I have very positive associations. Yeah. And the smell of, you know, you know, running through a, a trail in the woods through a eucalyptus grove or or some redwoods or whatever other, you know, brush. Um there's all you know, from the most like low level sensory things up to, you know, we love living in the city and uh even, you know, we don't get out as much anymore because we have small kids, but you know, I can walk to some really great restaurants um, and, you know, get takeout from them because of pandemic and everything. Um, and we can, you know, go to the playgrounds with our kids and see lots of people that we know that are interesting. Of course, we will meet interesting people where, where we go. But Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, like, for me, when I really start to think about, you know, so I, I will fully admit, I have drunk the California San Francisco Kool-Aid. And for many, many years, I was insistent that nowhere on earth was better than San Francisco. <laughs> and I um, like, oh, you can't beat the food. You know, I, I remember going to Italy a few years ago and being like, hmm, you know, I didn't have a meal that was quite as good as the last time I went to SPQR. Um, and so I'm like, Allison, how can you tr- go to Rome and like, belittle the food this is this is crazy um but i i really do think that with the proliferation of the internet and the exodus of people from not just san francisco but new york los angeles chicago going to smaller cities and towns across the u.s i really do think there's a lot of really hidden gems everywhere across the u.s that are full of you know educated people doing really cool things and contributing to their communities. So like where all miss the specifics of the city, um, you know, they're like some really great playgrounds we have, or, you know, the charging morning bun, like I feel confident we're going to find amazing things in our community in North Carolina. Um, but and we can come visit, and we can come <laughs> visit. but like, I think, you know, like, I left my heart in San Francisco. It just there's like a no a no truer song phrase for me. Um, there will definitely be a huge part of me that will always Stay be here. left here. But also, like I think you know, Neil and I will move to. We will always raise our kids with the California ethos, if you will, like it will always be a part of the fabric of our family, even though our daughter. Allison, let me just jump in there. Just describe for our listeners what your definition of the California ethos is as we move into the last remaining minutes of our podcast. Um, I think it is this and, and maybe it like borders on this American ethos too. It's like a, it is an open slate, a wide world full of possibilities where anything can happen and you can be any person you want to be, including the person you've always wanted to be, but were afraid to. And um, the, 
the live and let live philosophy where you accept people around you for who they are and you celebrate their differences. That to me is what California stands for. And, you know, I hope it always will. I don't know, Neil, what do you think about that? I think it's beautiful. Um, You know, I think there are many things where the values, you know, coming that kind of radiate out of the Bay area that, you know, fit within that theme of acceptance and of, I don't know. Yeah. You feel this when you, when you talk to people, I feel like when I talk to people that aren't from here, there's, there's a certain level of, I don't know. I mean, acceptance, I guess what you could, could call it or just, it's not exactly relaxed, but it's, um, there's a, um, there's less, less of a, there's an ease. There's yes, like an yes. ease and an authenticity yes. um, from the people here. Uh, and that's, you know, and that's partly because a lot of people, you know, chose to come here. They did. Like us. They, they did. want that. Yeah. And so it's kind of an intentionally created community of, of people that share those values. Of course, there are many other Californias in this very large state with yeah. values. But that's, yeah, of course. But that's the values that, 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 uh, that we think of. Yeah, and it's different. I mean, San Francisco is also not all some gigantic monolith of people like this, too. I just think we, you know, we live in Bernal Heights. It's a really, like, really tight-knit, inclusive community. And I think, like, I think that's kind of where we're deriving some of this, you know, San Francisco kind of feel. Um, But I will always have that in our heart. Like, there's no, there's no doubt about it. Well, I think both of you, are going to be great ambassadors for San Francisco as you head east, uh, as you head to the beautiful state of North Carolina. I think you've you've really both summed up and defined uh, very clear and, and aligned the California ethos that I share, which is you can be anything that you want to be. Life is a blank slate. And like you, like both of you, I came to San Francisco. My wife came to San Francisco from somewhere else. I chose to be here. We could choose at any time not to be here, just like like you have. But but that freedom of choice, uh, which is very much the American frontier, very much the an American tradition, that if you don't like it where where I where I was born and raised in New York, Long Island, and I liked it. I mean, I, it's not that I didn't like it, but once I came here, I just felt gee, there are so many more possibilities here. Sounds as though we're on the same wavelength, Allison and Neil. And I want to thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us. The very best to you on your journey across country. By the way, you've driven across country before, yes, no? Oh, yes. (laughs) Now, have you driven across country with two young children? No, no. I think I think the plan for that is to um, one of us to fly with the kids um, this summer. Forty hours with the kids? No, definitely not. (laughs) Um, And the other one of us get this to drive with our thirteen-year-old dog, who is way too old to fly, and probably about five to six cases of wine. (laughs) 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 It'll be interesting to see how many cases are left. By the time that, uh, so are you going to flip a coin as regards who gets to drive the dog and who takes the kids? Uh, I think I'm going to make Neil drive. Um, <laughs> it's a perfect weekend. That's how I got here. I feel like it's only appropriate to well, go out the same way. 
Well, Allison and Neil, I want to thank you very much for sharing your thoughts and your dreams and your, your passions with us. Uh, it sounds as though uh, San Francisco and California are going to be losing two uh, bright, wonderful citizens and a, and a young family. Uh, the door, of course, is always open. People leave California and come back again, and we hope that you will come back. Oh, thanks, Jim, and thank you for having us so much. My pleasure. And for my listeners, please take a moment to visit our website to subscribe to the podcast, www.thesanfranciscoexperiencepodcast.com. It's free to do so, and by subscribing, new episodes come directly to your inbox. You can also listen to past episodes, and there are about 140 now. You can read my blog, peruse my book, leave a comment, or send me an email. This has been the San Francisco Experience with your host, Jim Herlihy, reporting to you from America's favorite city, San Francisco. <laughs>